0: All right, gang, uh, let's pick up where we left off. Uh, We were looking at sufficiency. And again, we're trying to show you how to apply this, not just, again, teach it, but how you can put this to practice. So again, the first index card, let's just kind of go back to the beginning, starting from, again, left to right. Looking at sufficient, they take that one index card, they put on the front of the index card the word sufficient, the definition, On the back of the index card, they have that verse written out in its entirety. And so, in the morning, in the afternoon, at night, they take that index card and they read it, God is enough, he's doing enough in relation to my life, and then they read the verse. In the afternoon, before they have lunch, look at the index card, God is enough, he's doing enough in relation to my life. Before they go to bed, again, trying to get the meditation process involved and connected you not you forgot something I just want to fix mic. oh my mic okay i feel like janet jackson but i knew you were gonna say something there was always a woman inside of me and i thought this would be the best place to no oh this is being recorded i'm just kidding for the recording all right control no i'm sorry all right. Back to where we were. Did I just mess you up completely on that? All right. So we, we get this sufficient thing going. Again, try to teach them to meditate. That word have I hit in the heart. Again, we're helping them to apply the concept of meditation this way. Now, keep going. We look at the second column, which is the perspective we should have as a result of embracing this characteristic. Notice a perspective says, kind of like the definition, God is enough and he is doing enough for me. And then you have a different verse. So the second index card, you're going to have them write that on that index card. God is enough. He's doing enough for me with that verse in its entirety on the back. Now you say to them, I want you to repeat this no less than 30 times a day. You go, wait a minute. Is that possible? sure it is do you have traffic in this part of the country yes so when you have the radio on and you just listen to the radio what could you do you could turn it down and say at least 10 times in my mind I'm going to start to repeat this with the verse on the way home in traffic what can you do turn the radio down at least 10 times start to repeat that right While you're at work and someone gets on your nerves and you're taking your 15 minute break or whatever it may be, what could you do? Sit down for a moment. So, again, I'm trying to get people also to make the most of their time by taking every thought captive. Okay, still meditation mode. Oh, by the way, morning, noon, and night, what are they still doing? The first card. So, at least 30 times a day, On the second thing, they're going to be repeating back to themselves throughout the day to the end of the day, God is enough, he's doing enough for me, and repeating that verse back. Well, by the end of the week, they'll probably have two verses memorized, you think? And what do you think will be on their minds? That God is... Okay, now, that's just part of the process. Notice the third column, the practice we should develop as a result of embracing this characteristic... It says, enjoy what God provides without complaining about what you do not have. So here's what we ask the person to do. I want you to look at the things in your life, the resources that God has given you to enjoy. And I want you to lay out for me what days you have time to enjoy them via television via sports boat whatever it is that you have that God has allowed you to enjoy your goal that week and for the next 30 days is to find a day or two or three if you can and just enjoy what God has given you without complaining about what you do not have And every time you enjoy that resource, that thing that God has given you to enjoy, we want you to praise God, but also read this verse after you have enjoyed it, the Philippians 4, 10 through 14, which talks about, I have learned to be what? Content. So the practice over the next 30 days, now, by the way, you're still morning, noon, and night reading the definition and reading the verse. You're still 30 times a day repeating back, God is enough, he's doing enough, but you're going to enjoy what you have without complaining about what you don't have. You think they have enough time to complain if this is what's going on in their head and this is what they're practicing? You you see where I'm going? And so again, you say, well, let's look at some things that God has given you to enjoy. Let's pick some times and dates that you will do this. And every time you do it this week, again, I want you, after you've enjoyed, to read that verse. Now, notice the fourth column. The patterns of relating we should walk in as a result of embracing this characteristic. Give to others knowing God will supply your needs. I want you, once a week, to identify one to two people that you will do something for... And not look for anything in return. So you tell me who they will be this week, next week, the next week. And what will you give them? And when you give them what you give them, after you've done that, I want you to meditate on Luke chapter 6, verse 30, verse 36. You know what that verse talks about? How God is kind to evil and ungrateful men and you will be as he when you do the same. Okay? So now... By the way, you're still enjoying without complaining. You're still saying 30 times a day the whole process, and still morning, noon, and night, what are you working on? God is enough, the definition. So now, what do you think after 30 days this person will begin to embrace? That God is. Now, notice what we've done. We didn't just have intellectual pontification about the sufficiency of God we've had some practices of embracing the resources that God has given us, and we're giving of ourselves to other people knowing that God is enough, so that we're not focusing on hoarding, we're giving, and we're enjoying, and we're meditating all at the same time. So if you were to give someone this assignment for 30 days, you think eventually they'll begin to embrace that God is sufficient? Now, what I've just done is one area, you would do the exact same thing for supreme, for sovereign, for holy, for loving. And if you notice, there are different application assignments and different things for each area. And the key is to identify, according to the person's sin, what do they need to embrace? And sometimes it may be more than one, it may be three or four. But you, it's very subjective, Okay, meaning this, you determine that I think they should start with this one and then move to this one. There is no science to this. you follow what I'm saying? The only quote-unquote science to this is that we know theologically when you sin, it's because there is a characteristic you're not embracing. Once you identify which ones they are, you determine as you are with the person where they should start, but the thing that we know they should do is embrace, according to Hebrews 11. Because without faith, it is impossible to. For he who comes to him must believe that he is what? Sovereign, supreme. Oh, you see where I'm going? And that he's the reward of those that diligently seek him. Romans 14, anything not done in faith is sin. Now, I give you this because as you do this, your key is to begin to identify where is this person as it relates to sin and what is it about God that they're not embracing now here's what I do on the slick side when I'm training my trainees that's good for everybody else but now I'm talking to you look at the sins in your life and ask the question if I get honest with myself what is it about God that I know intellectually but I'm not embracing practically and how can I for the next 30 days begin to make this an exercise for my life and which characteristic because don't try to do more than one take one for 30 days then take another for 30 days it for my and this is just my opinion I don't think you get the full intent by trying to rush through this and doing a seven day quickie thing versus letting people marinate on this particular reality of God and develop in it for 30 days I, I think you short circuit it but again it's your call Okay. That is not a command. It has to be. It's just something that I'm looking at thinking you need time to really develop in this and, and just let it marinate in your soul as it relates to that characteristic. Are you guys tracking where we am going so far? Now, before we go any further with this and then we'll move on, I want you to take about three or four minutes and look at the various characteristics. Take a few minutes with the person next to you and just go down the list and go from left to right Because if you notice, they're different assignments according to the different characteristics. So just kind of peruse this and see what you see. Now, again, if you said, I missed something he said, I wasn't very clear. Everything I've just said to you is in the directions where it has step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. And you have those directions. Okay. That way, anything I missed, you got this in full detail. Right. Take about three or four minutes before we move on and just kind of review and look at the chart, think it through. How can you use this in your life and with those that you're counseling? And then we'll look at some more application, homework, assignments, and categories. Okay, everybody, let me stop you there. Can you see the potential of what you could do with something like this? And we're just scratching the surface. I mean, you could begin to look at various names of God. You can look at other attributes of God and begin to think through what we've just started here. This is just the beginning. We could do so much with this because here's the reality— this is the problem with the Christian. We have been saved from the penalty, the power, and soon presence of sin so that we may know him, become like him, and be useful to him. John seventeen three says, this is American Idol. I've always wanted to do that. That's not what it says. It says, this is eternal life. Is that what it says? That we may know him. And the word know there has to do with the intimate connection and awareness. Not just intellectual. Some people know the 23rd Psalm. Some people know the shepherd of the 23rd Psalm. That's what John seventeen three is. I know the shepherd. Not just the verses. And this is where we help people to make this real. Because their sin is means that in this area God has not become real and we're helping them to embrace God when the Bible says love God then love your neighbor what's the priority to love whom well how do we love him we embrace the reality of him well how do we do that well now we get to some specifics not just generic reading a verse but practical ways to connect people to these realities So part of what we're doing in counseling, we're saying, okay, once the person gets past the teaching and the conviction and they're ready for correction and training, these are the kind of homework assignments we would give as the put off and put on. To embrace God, they'll be put off and put on in the process. These are the things that we want them to do, and now they're ready to do it because they're not fighting and saying, you don't understand, and no, that's not me, and no, I'm not really doing that. They're beyond that because we have spent the time with the teaching and conviction states where now they're broken, they're ready to go to work. But if we move too quickly because they have knowledge but they lack conviction— we will miss helping them grow and change. So this is again, where we have to be strategic and specific in the process. As Jay Adams says, if we sin specifically, we need to obey specifically. And so we're figuring out strategically, how do we do that in the process of counseling? You guys with me so far? So we have covered four categories of homework. Let's talk about the fifth category now. I needed to take time to show you that one. I hope you understand why. Okay. It wouldn't have did it justice just to talk about it. We needed to experience it together. Number five, action-oriented homework. Okay, what is that? Projects and activities. Notice what word is missing. Have you noticed? Why are there no reading assignments here? Is action. Amen. Somebody caught it. Projects and activities that lead people to put off particular sinful thoughts, desires, conversations, behavior and lifestyle and to put on particular godly thoughts desires conversation behavior and lifestyle according to the situation or problem again this is used to lead people into the correction and training stage what you need to understand again is teaching and conviction go together and I'm sorry teaching and conviction go together correction and training go together once you identify that the first three homework assignments deal with teaching and conviction the last three homework assignments deal with correction and training. So depending on where your person is, it should determine the quality and the kind of homework you give. So when I'm working with my trainees, tell me, what is it? It's a C1, C2 problem. Tell me where they are. Well, they're in the teaching stage. Okay. Well, if they're in the teaching stage, then what homework do they need? Well, they need awareness homework. Why? Because I need to move them to conviction. Okay, so then tell me the kind of awareness homework you would give within the context of this person uh, situation. Well, I'm going to get them to do this log list according to these questions as they read these scriptures about this particular issue in their life. Okay, very good. Now, if that doesn't work, then what's your next step? Well, maybe I'll... No, 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 no. Try this. Give them this list. Do this. Because we can't move until there's conviction. And all the time, the first assignment you give may not bring it because it may need something else. So I tell people, you need to load up on various ways to get people to see themselves within the context of the issue you're discussing. Because if you don't, that one trick pony is not going to work. Well, I saw what you said, but I still don't understand what you're talking about. Then you're going, I don't have anything else. Well, you better work on it because you can't move forward and you're going to try to move forward and everybody's going to be frustrated because there's no conviction. So that's why, remember I told you put 40 stars by that one? You're going to have to do a lot of work and a lot of preparation of awareness homework, helping people see themselves and to be convicted. Now, you can't do it, but you're giving homework to facilitate waiting on God to bring that conviction and you're going to use various avenues until there's a change. Now, action-oriented homework, this is where you say, here is what I want you to stop thinking and start thinking. Here's what I want you to stop saying and start saying. Here's what I want you to stop doing and start doing. This is all C1 to C3 stuff, okay? Because it's dealing with the person individually, not the person in relationship to someone else. That's why it's action-oriented. Now, when they're dealing with someone else, Any idea what the next one would be? What is it? Ding, 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 ding. And you get a car and you get, it's, it's real practical, right? Relation oriented. That's dealing with someone else. Let's talk about that together. Projects and activities that lead people to put off unloving relational patterns and move them into relating open and loving relational patterns towards others within the situation of problem and abroad used to lead people in correction and training. So When it's between me and you and you're ready for change, then I give you relation-oriented homework. Here is how you need to handle this person today, this week, for the next seven days. Here is how you will express love or demonstrate love to your boss, to your family, to your coworker, to your uncle, your neighbor, your enemy, etc. Here are the specific ways you will serve them. So we move from fuzzy land to specifics in the person's life. Now, what I've just done for you is to try to categorize for you various kinds of homework within the context of these issues. And many of you are saying, do you have stock homework that I can give you? No. This is where you have to go to work. This is where you have to do some research. This is where you're going to have to start now when you're reading these counseling books and workbooks said, you know what, that's a great action-oriented homework assignment. Let me put that in my file. That's a great awareness assignment. Let me put that. You know, that's a great homework. And now when you're reading, you'll start to read differently because you're going to think in terms of categories, and then you will tweak these things in order for you to help the counselee. Now, why is there nothing out there like this? I don't know okay but you can begin to create it by looking at the stuff you've learned and the stuff you've been reading and make it fit these categories and adjust it accordingly. Now think about what we're doing. We're trying to get out of fuzzy land with counseling We're trying to get out of just throwing people Bible studies and throwing them something that we learned the other day and giving them what they need within the context and the condition of where they are. As you learn to do this, you will find your counseling sessions will flow a lot better. However, it's going to require a lot of patience because you're going to discover just how cocky and arrogant your counselees are. And you're gonna realize they are not broken. This is why these assignments aren't working. They have no conviction over their sin. I keep trying to give them homework. They don't think they need this homework. They think I'm wasting their, they think they're wasting their time with me because they don't see themselves. Until you master that, counseling will be frustrating. I spend, I would say 60% of my time with counselees in the area of awareness and when they're broken it's time for graduation because then I only spent about four or five weeks with the application because I already knew what they needed that wouldn't take long but we couldn't get to what they need because they were too smart does that make sense and what they need, it really wouldn't take long. It would only take about four or five weeks and they just apply it, but we can't get there because they're too smart. They know too much and they don't. And it's not really that and I don't understand and if I just listen to them tell me how bad their husband or wife is, then I'll get it and they go through it. Well, we don't really need all of that because the problem is not the other person, it's you. But we got to go through all of that till they finally get to the place where, okay, I've given you everything I need to see. Now you've helped me see myself. Now we can actually get to work. Because the reality is God is using this person to help you change. We don't have marriage problems, guys. We have character deficiencies that show up in the marriage. But most people think they have marriage problems. The marriage is not the problem. It's the people in the marriage. You see where I'm going? And if I can help you see your character and you're willing to make the adjustments and you see your character make the adjustments, you'll find the marriage is a wonderful place. But God is using it as a means to unfold some things to you. And are you willing to do the work? And again, with singles, the same thing. You don't have the wrong guy or gal in your life, you've got the wrong agenda. And you keep changing people, but you've got the same agenda. That's why you're so hurt and miserable and alone and depressed. Because you haven't learned God's agenda for your singleness. You haven't learned God's design for your singleness. And as a result, you keep coming up on the same thing because you keep doing the same thing. This kind of homework is to lead people to begin to think this through. Now, let me do this. Let me talk about methods. And then I want to go back to concepts. And then we'll probably not get through the concepts. And then at the last session, I'm going to go like we're about to land a plane and give you some of this other detail, but it won't take me as long because most of that's self-explanatory. But let's look at methods for a moment. And methods are basically ways that you can apply the categories of homework. And I think this is where my brother was talking about, Randy Patton, and some of the things that you've learned from Nank. And again, what I've tried to do is to show you methods are different than categories and methods you can use with any category. So let's take a look at that. Uh, Letter L says, as a counselor determines the category of homework to be given, he can use various methods of implementation to help move counselees through each phase and stage resulting in escaping of the corruption of their flesh, the world and the devil unto spiritual maturity in Jesus Christ. Here are some of the methods. I'm not going to read the details of this, but I just want you to see the list of this, okay? Because I think this is pretty much self-explanatory. Uh, notice one method is scripture reading, helping people read, literature reading, scripture memorization, prayer, projects, log lists, and journals. And I'm going to talk a little bit about number seven. But these are methods And you can use any of these methods with any of those categories. Does that make sense? And so as you start to think through things that you will use, these are just some of the areas or things, excuse me, you can use to help you with the categories. Now, I want to talk about the church participation part for just a moment because this is where you get down into the body life of your counselee. Your counselees have to understand that counseling is not the magic hour. It's what they do when they leave from the counseling is what will change their life. And what I tell people all the time is, I don't want you to focus on getting the homework done. I want the homework to get you done. You see the difference? See, if you focus on getting the homework done, you may wait till the last minute because we're going to meet on Wednesday and you try to do it all on Tuesday. Then you've defeated the purpose and let's not meet on Wednesday because the goal was not for you to finish the homework. The goal was that you were to be transformed through the homework. Does that make sense? And when I find out that a couple has rushed to do it on a Tuesday and they meet on Wednesday, I shut the session down for about five and 10 minutes and say, God bless you, go home and we'll meet when you do the work consistently and practically because it's a waste of my time and yours. Because counseling with me is not where change is going to take place. It's the application of the truth is where change is going to take place. You can't do that in an hour with me. You've got seven days or 14 days to put this stuff to practice. This is why with you, I emphasize preciseness and strategy with homework, because we're trying to lead people to be doers of the word, not just hearers. Sitting and listening to me talk to them for an hour is not going to change their life. But applying it, there's going to be changes if they're willing to apply it and not just wait to the last minute. So again, we talk about body life. And what I challenge people on is you've got to be connected to the body of Christ. And let me suggest to you areas where you want to make sure a person is connected. Number one is membership. The counselee would be led to join a local church that they may experience love and enjoy the blessings of God honoring relationships. Number two, maturity. The counselee would be led to get involved in discipleship courses in a local church that will lead them into loving God, loving others on a consistent basis, and living a life that reflects the character of Christ. Number three, magnification. The counselee would be led to come to appreciate value and adore the character of God through heartfelt, genuine worship of him in a local church. Ministry. The counselee would be led to join a ministry where they can develop in bearing burdens and meeting needs according to the various relationships they will develop through the local church missions the counselee will be led into supporting the local church and sharing and defending the Christian faith you want to make sure your counselee is being connected to these aspects of the church by the way we've just taken the book of acts and those m's and just kind of simplified the book of acts because if you study the book of acts this is exactly what they were doing does that make sense And so we're challenging our counselee where are you in the context of the local church where you are connected to these areas as you are dealing with your issue as well? And so these are the kind of things that we want to be doing as we are, again, methods of implementation with the categories to help our counselees grow. All right, take two or three minutes, review, 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 look at the categories of homework look at the methods, tie them together. Take about two or three minutes. Then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about concepts and we're going to go backwards. Talk about concepts. When you're in a counseling session, concepts to teach. Okay. Take about two or three minutes. Walk with each other. Okay, how are we doing? Are we making it? Are we wore out yet? I'm tired of hearing myself talk, so I can only imagine where you guys are. A lot of information? Overwhelmed? Take a few weeks, let it all sink in, just go back to the beginning and just slowly walk through it. This is why with the people that I'm training, I tell them, give me five weeks, four to five weeks before we actually do the sessions so this stuff can sink in. And when it does sink in and they start their counseling, they are so much more comfortable because they're starting to think this way and they're putting things in boxes and then our discussion over their sessions the flow becomes better, and then I give them little secrets, a little worksheets to try and to practice, and little things that they can use as they're working with people. Now I want to go backwards for a moment, and I may or may not get through all the concepts, but there are some key concepts that I want you to learn today that are, for me, most important for you to gain. The others are self-explanatory, and so there are some charts that you have in the very back of your worksheet I want you to pull them out. They are, should be front and back together and you'll see two sheets that has four basic charts on them. I wanna take time with you to help you to begin to look at these particular things. The rest of the concepts that are in your notes, they are important, but for me, they're not as important as these charts that I want to teach you, okay? So again, we may or may not read them or get to them. You can read them at your leisure. I want to spend my time with these charts, and you're free to use these charts as much as you like. Now, what I want to do is try to help you think about individuals that you're counseling by these charts. And what I've tried to pull together for you are, again, these are concepts of analysis, and these are universal principles that the more you think this way, when someone is talking to you, this stuff will just stand out to you. And what I do as assignments with my trainees is once I teach them these concepts, I say to them, I want you to spend the next week evaluating people, not trying to counsel them, but listening to their conversations through the grid of these charts. And as they do so, they say, I didn't realize what I'm seeing. And I'm going, praise God. Because if you see it now, when you sit down in the counseling session, you won't be overwhelmed with all the details because you'll begin to put everything they say into these boxes. So the first thing that I want you to look at are the three basic responses to people and circumstances. Now what's beautiful about this Is that these are universal principles that will always apply. It doesn't matter who you are dealing with, you will always see these three basic responses. And let's talk about it. And as we talk about it, here's what I want you to think about people and circumstances are the issues you're always dealing with. When people come to counseling, what do they talk about? People and what do they want you to change? people and why are they on medication because of you see everything in life comes back to your interaction with people and circumstances and they believe that you need to listen to them tell you all the negatives about a particular person so that you can clearly understand their problem to help fix that person because they're okay okay Proverbs 1817, a man's case seems right until another comes and examines him. And they believe that their problems are based upon people and circumstances. And what we will see is that with people and circumstances, there are three basic responses. Response number one is what we call neutral responses. This is demonstrating and expressing sadness, disappointment, embarrassment, or hurt that does not violate scripture, the norm expressions in life that God deals with, uh, that God does not hold against you as wrong. Gentlemen, I think you have that chart. You should see it in the uh, PowerPoint if you can pull that up uh, so that they can see it before you. So if you kind of take a look, it should be there in the PowerPoint, okay? But now let's talk about these responses. Neutral response. Disappointment. Sadness, hurt, embarrassment. Those are things that, in and of themselves, are not sinful. They're neutral. So we don't hold people hostage because they feel sad or they feel disappointed or they feel embarrassed. Those are, again, things that, if we look at the book of Job, are not sinful. They are neutral, meaning God doesn't hold you accountable to these things being right or wrong. They are neutral responses. When Job was sad because of losing his children and everything, is that a sin to be sad? Do you think Job was disappointed? Okay, so again, these are responses that are neutral and they are not sinful. Everyone experiences those things. So they're not wrong to have. Now, here's the problem. You move from neutral responses to either loving or unloving responses. And see, that's where the problem exists. You being disappointed with your spouse is not the problem, but in your disappointment when you hit them with the frying pan, okay, you went from a neutral response to a unloving response. Does everybody see the logic here? So everyone that we encounter has neutral responses as well as, let's look at the second, loving responses to have thoughts, motives, desires, communication patterns, behavior patterns, manner of life patterns, relationship patterns, or serving patterns. We are commanded and empowered by God to have that demonstrates love for God and others. Okay? Okay so some people will move from a neutral response disappointment sadness okay embarrassment and then they begin to respond from that in love to the people in circumstances well there's no problem here and you see that so I was sad with my friend I was disappointed I was embarrassed but then I just went on and moved on into giving them a hug or showing them love okay well wonderful But most people that we encounter don't move from neutral responses to loving responses. Can you tell me where most people move? They go from neutral to unloving responses, to have unloving thoughts, motives, desires, communication patterns, behavior patterns, manner of life patterns, relationship patterns, or serving patterns that are prohibited by God and are determined by the evil in our hearts. So you're sitting in a counseling session and some person is crying because of how disappointed they are by how their spouse was handling them. We don't tell them, oh, you shouldn't do that. Man up or woman up. It's like, you know what? I cannot imagine the pain you must be going through. And again, there is no sin in your disappointment, but sir, or ma'am, the problem is not where you're disappointed. The problem is this is how you've chosen now to respond that is not pleasing to God. To leave the house for seven days and not speak to your spouse was a unloving response to your disappointment with your spouse to begin to say nasty things to them or hold them hostage in your mind was not a loving response to your disappointment or sadness. So we're not trying to say to you that there's anything wrong with being disappointed. We're saying to you the next response is not what is pleasing to God. You see the difference. So you're not holding people hostage for their disappointment, which is okay. You're showing them how they've chosen to react the next way is not okay. And that God had another reason for them or another way for them to respond because you may get something like this. Are you telling me that I can't be sad over what my spouse did to me? Not saying you can't be sad at all. But what you're demonstrating now is not sadness. It's nastiness according to scripture. You've moved beyond sadness to this response that's not pleasing. So I don't want to try to stop your sadness. I want to help deal with your sinfulness that's tied to your sadness. Because what's holding you hostage is not the disappointment of your soul, but the sin in your heart and response. Am I making sense to you guys? Everyone you encounter has these three basic responses to people and circumstances. Now imagine if you spent the rest of the day just listening to people tell you their stories. What are you gonna hear? Neutral responses, loving responses, and what? Unloving. Now, let's turn the corner for a moment. Turn to the next page. In those responses, there are four key issues revealed in our responses to people and circumstances let's take a look at these four key issues one of the things that we may begin to see at the top are expectations and desires of life that have become the central focus of our attention above love for God and love for others so now when people are sad and disappointed what do they talk about the most when they're sad and disappointed the thing that's most important to them okay What you begin to see is that thing has become too important, which is why they are mad or worried or angry because the neutral response and you see the unloving response, this is revealing something. This thing you want too much, so much so that you're sinning to get it and sin when you don't get it. This thing has become the predominant central theme of your life. And so as we're watching your reaction to people and circumstances, we're learning what's very important to you. And we're concerned because what's important to you doesn't seem to be as important to God. Am I making sense, guys? Second category, thoughts, motives, desires, communication patterns, behavior patterns, relational patterns, serving patterns that are displeasing to God and that God wants change for his glory, the good of others and our good. Or, thoughts, motives, desires, communication patterns, behavior patterns, relational patterns, serving patterns that are pleasing to God and are glorifying to God to the good of others and our own good. Or, we may be seeing the reality that one does not have a genuine relationship with God. So, as we think about this, unbiblical responses, neutral responses loving responses. These things reveal expectations of the heart, sinful issues, loving issues, or maybe it shows that a person is not a Christian. As we are just learning these categories and we start to evaluate people, we start to listen differently and we say, okay, what did I just see here? I saw a neutral response. I see a unloving response. I see a loving response. What is this revealing? Wow, this is very important to them. Oh, wow, this is a pattern of sin that they keep walking in because of this thing that's important to them. Oh, wow, they are really consistent in loving God in these areas. Oh, wow, you know what? I don't think this person is a Christian. So, again, this kind of helps us to begin to think through what we're seeing when people are talking to us turn to the next page the third chart the third chart helps us to take all of this and begin to help people understand some basic realities of life what they can and can't control now what are the two things that i cannot control people and now let's get out of fuzzy land with people and let's get into specifics What are some specific things that I cannot control about people? What say you? Emotions, their thoughts, what else? Their desires, their will, right? Their decisions, you know, what they want, what they say. Can I control any of those things about people? What about circumstances? Can I control the outcome? Is it going to rain or be sunny? I have no control over those things, right? Right? Okay, so if I can't control those things, what can I control? My thoughts, my desires, my words, my feelings, my actions. Do you agree? Okay, so then why do you keep saying you hurt my feelings? If I can't control what you feel, then how can I hurt them? Well, let's explain that. Feelings are real that are hurt, but what's happening is I have expectations. Who set the expectations? I did. Who's responding to the fact that those expectations are not being met? I am. Who's determining what I feel? I am. Oh. Well, wait a minute. What about when you say you make me angry? Can I make you angry? You've decided To get angry because if I can't control what you think Phyllis say then you can't control what I think Phyllis say well we have a problem here because what you've been saying to me is I feel the way I feel or I am the way I am because of this person in this circumstance but we can't control those things I am the way I'm because of my choices So my choices are revealing something. That's what that small chart gets down to. My choices are revealing my motives. My problem is not people and circumstances, but my motives with people and circumstances. And what are my motives? It's either selfish, ambitious, or loving. If what I want from you is more important than what you are supposed to do for me and what God has commanded me to do for you, then what happens when I don't get my way with you? I get angry but what do I say you made me angry no you decided because what you want from me is more important than what God asked you to do for me your motives are on display because you can't control me you control you now tell me when that is not true isn't that always true so this is where we get to what I call the teabag theology when you put tea bag, a tea bag in water, the water brings out what's in the tea bag. It doesn't determine the flavor. it just brings out what's in the tea bag. People and circumstances of the water, you are the tea bag. They're not making you who you are. They're just bringing out what's already in you. And your motives are on display. So therefore, when you feel what you feel, we're not telling you it's wrong to feel what you feel, but you're determining what you feel because you're deciding to think what you think and your agenda is being revealed. Now, imagine if you're listening to people and you're putting in the categories as they're talking what they can't control, what they can't control and what's driving their choices. They could talk for hours. And you're putting in one corner. This is what they can't control. This is what they can't control. This is what's determining their choices. And then before you know it, you are summarizing their lives. Now, take a look at the fourth chart. This pulls it together to show you what's happening in the life of the individual. Well, if all of this is happening, what that boils down to is pride, a mindset on self. And when my mind is set on self, I pursue lustful desires. And when I pursue lustful desires, I look for idols as a means to satisfy it. I look for a person, place, product, perspective, anything I can to help me satisfy the lustful desires because my mind is set on self. So as a result, I tend to worry. I tend to be angry and sometimes depressed. Why? Because the idol isn't giving me what I want to satisfy the lust because I'm stuck on myself. Now, when you start to look at people through this context, and you learn to take these charts and use them as a grid, it changes the dynamic of what you're seeing before you move into action. This becomes a concept of analysis that can move you to action.